Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Ken to my Barbie. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, this is it. These are the big ones. It's the start of our league table predictions. It's exciting, isn't it? It is so exciting. I know we built it up a little bit in midweek, but I've got the butterflies in my tummy, and I think it's just the the precursor to the season starting. And this is when you know, things get really serious for us, where we you know, take a step back, analyse everything, and then we we dig straight in and essentially piss people off. And that's okay with me. Yeah, it's not the intention to piss people off. It's no. just people want to know who where we think their team is going to finish. So we may as well do it in this situation. And people are just going to get annoyed anyway, whatever happens, aren't they? But I mean, there is a lot of pressure on us in particular because of out of all the content creators, we had the most accurate championship league table last season. Mm. So this is essentially a spoiler alert for how the season's going to go. Spoiler alert or uh, I'm trying to think of the phrase. Maybe it was a bit of a one off is what I'm trying to say. But then again, I mean, it well, was for me, let's be honest. Well, firstly, it's incredibly difficult to um, to to predict, but also my predictions throughout the course of the season, not predictions, but um, picks uh, in our preview episodes were, were quite were quite interesting. So I'm just, you know, maybe I'm doing myself a downer. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to bring the expectation down a little bit. I'm a Derby fan. It's normal. Don't. Justin, don't. Big up those expectations. Big yourself up for once. Come on. We are the championship experts. And this is how we think the championship season is going to go. We proved last season how bloody good we are at doing this. Big yourself <laughs> up for once, man. Okay, right. I'm going to develop the ego. You know, every other content creator, get lost. We're the, we're the big boys, all right? Exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's what I like to hear. Call someone out. Go on. Ben Bloom, your friend of the show, get lost. Yeah. <laughs> useless anyone else useless this is where the big boys play ladies and gentlemen welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are so here we are it's time to reveal how we think the championship season is going to pan out this is the first of three episodes where we reveal our league table predictions we do it in three parts so we can give you the listener plenty of reasoning as to why we've got them where they are, even though we know you'll disagree with us anyway. As always, we make this the same way we always do. Justin makes a league table, I make a league table. We merge it together into one. Today, we're revealing our bottom eight. On Tuesday, it's positions 16th to 9th. And then on Thursday, we unveil the top eight. Exciting times here on the second tier. And Justin, the suspense is killing me. So let's do this. Reveal to the people who we have bottom of the table. We have Sheffield Wednesday, 24th. The variables are working against the Owls this season, I think. Stable ownership, you know, you've got to bring in a lot of factors and the stable ownership is key to surviving and, and then thriving. And frankly, I don't think Chan Series providing that for Sheffield Wednesday. So there are more reasons, but that is a sole reason as to why I, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, we predicted Sheffield Wednesday to go down this season. I was more positive about Wednesday after the playoffs. Well, more optimistic, I should say, about Wednesday under Darren Moore after the playoffs. There was a buzz, especially after the drama and, and, and the manner in which they, they they came through the adversity that they faced against Peterborough and then the 120 minutes or 120-so minutes in the playoff final against Barnsley. But then all of that optimism from my perspective was sucked out as soon as Moore left. They lack the operational power for me to to really make a make a go of it in the championship. Transfer business so far has been very slow. They they're still limited in, in the players that they've got. 
there isn't. I don't think there's a structure in place behind the scenes to really go out and 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 find you know, players who are going to be effective in the systems. I think Darren Moore papered over those cracks, as I've said in previous in the previous episode. I believe that he had a, a bit more say in the recruitment, which essentially I think, as I was pointing out, was a was a you know, it covered a big hole in, in in the recruitment and then and the overall running of the club. I said it um, at the start of the summer. I don't think Sheffield Wednesday will thrive until Chancery has sold the club or he's employed people in place to to effectively run the footballing side of things and, and recruitment and everything else. As I said, the squad's weak. It's not going to get better because there's no there's not the right people in place to do it. So for me, Sheffield Wednesday, twenty fourth. Yeah, it's quite sad, really, that we've got Wednesday to finish bottom of the table after the drama from the playoffs with them. And look, I was happy when Wednesday got promoted, not only because they're a massive club, but because I thought they would help make the division competitive. I'm not sure that latter point is the case anymore. The summer has just been a complete and utter mess. Darren Moore's departure as manager after guiding them to promotion. Chancery unveiling Isco Munoz as his replacement by ranting about Carlton Palmer for several minutes. Season ticket prices have been made extortionate, by far the most expensive in the division. And also the departure of the head of recruitment, which has meant recruitment has been very slow to get going. And even then, the players that have come in aren't particularly impressive. So where does that leave things now? Well, they've got just 20 senior players on the books. They're looking extremely weak at the back. They need to sign bodies. And at this point, just anyone will do, really. There are some good players here, though. Barry Bannon is someone I've always appreciated as a player. Josh Windass had a cracking season in League One. A few others like Marvin Johnson, Will Volks, Liam Palmer. Steady hands at this level, aren't they? But another problem is there's just no squad depth. So they desperately need to bring players in. The manager, Isco Munoz, has even admitted the team is not ready. And speaking of the manager, let's talk about him. He did a great job at Watford in getting them promoted, but his tactic was to pass to Ishmael Assar. Going to be difficult to do that with no Ishmael Assar in this team. He was also sacked very early on in the Premier League because his tactical limitations were badly exposed. And since then, he's had poor spells at Huesca in the Spanish second tier and Anorthosis Famagusta in Cyprus as well. I'd be surprised if he lasted the season. And then would you really trust Chancery in getting the next appointment right? I wouldn't trust Chancery with looking after my drink while I went to the toilet at the pub. You just come back and it's smashed on the floor and he'll he'll be sat there blaming Carlton Palmer for some reason. (laughs) So it's very difficult to make an argument for Wednesday staying up at this stage. Even if they bring in more players, the standard of player has been so uninspiring so far. There's just a lot of problems there. There's well, There are a lot of problems. It's quite overwhelming to see a lot of content creators also to have also having Wednesday in their bottom three, I think that's a big, a big indicator as to the outside trust and belief in in, in Wednesday in getting things right. I think Darren Moore leaving was the catalyst for them for for, for, for mindset changing. Um, and as you quite rightly point out, Isco Munoz doesn't have the best of records. But even so, if he's been made man, been put in place as, as manager, and he's having to recruit players he's either managed before for teams who haven't particularly inspired. He's obviously having to pick up the slack where the recruitment team just isn't, well, doesn't have the operational power in place to to go out and, and find players to, to play the system. So he's obviously trying to fill those gaps with players that might not be good enough. It's a big worry for Wednesday and, and I'll say it again, Chancery, until until he leaves or there are people in place, they're not going to be a stable championship club. They've regressed over five years. They're turning into a yo-yo club and that's because of the poor leadership at the very top. In 23rd place, we have Queen's Park Rangers. QPR stayed up last season when they never should have been involved in a relegation battle in the first place. I'm not sure they'll be so lucky this season. A big reason for that is the manager. Gareth Ainsworth came in in February, had a disastrous start, losing six in seven. They eventually stayed up, but it wasn't convincing at all. Three wins from 13 under him. QPR nearly went from top of the table to in October to relegated in May. Admittedly, the slide started before Ainsworth came in. We, we can't put it all down to him, but I'm far from convinced that he's the man to get the club back on track. I think he's out of his depth and is taking them backwards. The football is shocking. 
constantly hoofing up to Lyndon Dykes with very little evidence of an alternative game plan. I've seen many QPR fans suggest they won't be so Route 1 this season. I'm not sure I buy that. I'll need to see more than a 30-second clip from a friendly against a League 2 side, which is what a lot of QPR fans have been referencing with regards to the style of play. Ainsworth is also working with a weaker squad than the end of last season. Senny Dieng, Rob Dickey, Stefan Johansson, Chris Martin have all left, as has all the low knees from last season. Their most talented players in Elias Chair and Chris Willock could go before the window closes too. They brought in Asmir Begovic. He could be a very big, very busy boy this season. Uh, Paul Smith has returned from Leighton Orient. He scored once in the second half of last season. That was in League Two, so... I've got to do a bit of convincing with him. Morgan Fox, steady defender. I'm not necessarily sure he's an improvement on what they've got. So, look, it's a poor squad with a manager who's out of his depth and won't be able to get the best out of the talent that is there. It's quite the change from when they were flying under Mick Beale less than 12 months ago. Yeah, quite quite a change indeed. It's, it's quite staggering, really, the decision-making that's got them into this position. And I think we go back to when Mick Beale left. I think that shocked everybody, and that was a real, a real sort of gut punch. And I just don't think the club's really recovered from that because Mick Beale was the right decision to employ. Young up and coming coach wanted to play a flexible system. It was progressive, but it had the uh, ability to mix it up. Neil Critchley came in and was a similar similar manager in in how he wanted to play, but it just didn't work out. And then obviously Gareth Ains was just a complete. A complete change from that and as you point out and it's really important the the data pool that we have available to us for Gareth Ainsworth is a relic in the championship is a relegation with Wickham and three wins in 13 with, with with QPR at the end of last season so it's not a convincing record to say the very least you mix that with upheaval upstairs Tony Fernandez has gone Les Ferdinand is gone whilst this is whilst this is a good thing it's a positive it's a bit of a reset um, and sometimes that can really impact things on the pitch and essentially how you want to recruit as well. Gareth Ainsworth quite obviously doesn't have any money to spend this summer or a very limited amount of money to spend this summer because when you go out and sign a a League Two player who's only scored once in the second half of this last season, tells you the the market that they're batting in and there's, there's a lot that needs to be brought into the team in terms of quality, given that, you know, Rob Dickey's left, for example, there's a lack of depth up front with Lyndon Dykes, just Lyndon Dykes. And then there's a fight to keep Elias Chair and Chris Willock. I also saw a quote from Gareth Ainsworth where he said, when you've got Adebay Akinfenwe, Akin you've got to play it up to him. You've got to play it into him. Sam Vokes the same. And that's absolutely acceptable. You play that way. Um, and he's then he then alluded to playing a, a you know, slightly different style with QPR. But he's just, he's never, he's never... He's never played that way before. He's never had to mix things up the way he's going to have to with QPR, which is why it's a little bit more convincing with Gareth Ainsworth in terms of how he can how he can really really get the best out of this squad. There's plenty of quality, and I think if Eli, if he can keep Elias Chair and Chris, Chris Willer can get them ticking, there's every chance they can stay up. But I'm not convinced by Gareth Ainsworth. I'm not convinced by the quality, overall quality of the squad. And I'm not convinced that they've got enough money to bring in that quality. So for me, and you as well, QPR to be relegated. Yeah, it's hard to make an argument against really, isn't it? Maybe their chances would improve if they got the Hackerman in at centre-half, just in something <laughs> we've got to consider. Don't rule out the return of the Hackerman. Um, but on your point about Willock and Chair, even if they do stay, two very talented boys, but at the same time, we saw that Elias Chair in particular really struggled in a Ainsworth system because he very rarely got the ball. He's the kind of player you should be feeding the ball into and letting him weave his magic, but he just didn't really get the chance to do that. So even if they do stay, which will be a big boost, I'm not sure it will have the necessary impact. So yeah, I'm quite fearful for QPR's chances. I actually had them bottom of my personal league table. Um, so there you go. <laughs> Let's go to 22nd, Justin. Who's the other team we've got to go down? We've got Rotherham to go down in 22nd. I do feel a bit, weirdly feel a bit bad putting Rotherham in because they're a team who quite easily have the lowest budget in the league or one of, at least in the bottom three budgets in in the league. So this isn't exactly an underperformance, but I just feel their overall quality of the squad isn't that of other teams in the division. Um, So it's nothing against Matt Taylor. It's nothing against Rotherham as a club. It, It just comes down to budget and 
players available to them. You look at Grant Hall and Sean Morrison, for example. Certainly, in the their experience is great, but they're in the wrong they're at the wrong end of their careers in terms of age. Grant Hall, Sean Morrison. I, I don't feel that they're going to play more than twenty games next season um, each. They've lost a lot of quality as well through Ogbeni and, and, and Wes Harding. The experience in Richard Wood has gone, although, as I say, Sean Morrison and Grant Hall, they alleviate that that problem with the experience side of things. So again, it comes down to a quality quality aspect with, with, with Rotherham. They've got Cafu, Ollie Rathbone and Ben Wiles, which I think is a solid midfield three, but again, it's that de- the quality of depth. There are goals out um, in other positions where, where they're going to come from, essentially. You've got Dan Barlas last season, for example, who was a huge creative figure for Rotherham. And I know he left in January, but the impact he had in that team in the first half of the season was was huge. And obviously Rotherham, really important to point out, they got off to a wicked start under Paul Warren before Matt Taylor came in. And obviously it's not Matt Taylor's fault that they, they dropped off. It's a natural drop-off. The, the data will show that. But that start was, was down to the team playing to their strengths and Dan Barlas was key to that. I don't think they've got a player in that um, in the team at the moment who's who's got the quality on the ball that Dan Barlas has. So for me, as I say, the loss of quality, the inability to, to really recruit, uh, to, to match teams in and around them, I think is going to really hold them back. And unfortunately, yeah, they've got Rotherham in the bottom three. Let's put it blunt. I think we can safely sit here right now and say Rotherham have the worst squad in the division. It's thin on the ground, certainly lacking in quality. Their squad wasn't the strongest last season, but it got by. Now, in the last months, they've lost, last eight months, they've lost Dan Barlasa, Jadosi Ogbeni, Tarek Fosu, Wes Harding, Richard Wood. It's like you're handpicking the worst players for them to lose. And at the time of recording, they've simply not really been replaced. Now, I'm sure they will strengthen before the transfer window closes. They've got to, quite frankly, otherwise it could be quite an embarrassing season. I just think there's a lot of business they need to do to give them any chance of staying up and it might be too much. Hope isn't completely lost. They could suddenly sign a load of players, make us go, wow, this is some good business and we may have to revise whether we think they're going to stay up or not. Fred Onyedima, who's coming over the last few days, decent signing from Luton. And Matt Taylor is a good manager as well. He's the first manager to keep Rotherham in the Championship since Neil Warnock in 2016. So, We're not sitting here right now and saying you may as well just already have Rotherham in League One next season, just relegate them now, because that's not the case at all. It's just the current state of things is a massive concern and there's a lot of work to do for Rotherham to have a chance of staying up this coming season. So that's our bottom three. Worth mentioning, Justin and I had the same bottom three, just in different orders. And from what I've seen of other league table predictions, seems to be a pretty popular bottom three as well, Justin. I think the interesting thing is, and this is the the silver lining for the teams in the bottom three, I think every content creator last season had Birmingham in their bottom three. Birmingham, so the silver Reading, lining there for, want it. Yeah, so the, the silver lining there is Reading, uh, Birmingham, Rotherham. They, they, they came out, but they didn't get relegated last season. So those three teams, I would say Rotherham and QPR have got a high chance of, 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 of getting out because... Again, QPR have got plenty of quality in their team that we know. It's just whether Gareth Ainsworth going to lock it. Rotherham, if they recruit well, fair enough. It's just Wednesday. I'm very certain, very, very certain that they will be relegated just because I don't have any faith in Chancery getting any decisions right ever, to be honest with you. I wouldn't say I'm certain on any of them to go down, but if one of them was going to get out of it for me, it probably would be Rotherham. Just because I do think Taylor is a good manager. It's just that squad is scarily slim at the moment. Mm-hmm. But... As we were alluding to, things could change very quickly in a matter of weeks. So we'll we'll hold thought on that. But I think it's a it's quite obvious why it's a pretty popular bottom three for the vast majority of content creators like ourselves. Let's go to the team who we have just outside of the bottom three. In twenty first, we have Cardiff City. Now I had Cardiff in my bottom three throughout the summer. The main things that have nudged them out is the signing of Carl and Grant, because they badly needed a goal scorer, and the state of other clubs. As you can imagine, Cardiff fans have been getting a bit carried away with the signing of Aaron Ramsey. It's led to expectations getting a bit out of hand from what I've seen. I've seen some mention the possibility of top six. Um, In my view, they should just be looking to stay up. 
because this is a club that is one of the worst run in the championship, possibly even the country. They've continuously dropped down the division season upon season. And if they do that again, it means they'll go down because they stayed up by virtue of Reading having a points deduction last season. I don't think enough has changed over the summer to warrant them not being in a relegation battle. The new manager, Errol Bullock, no one knows how he's going to do. It's simply impossible to say with any confidence. He's got a mixed record in Turkey. Ultimately, I won't be surprised if he got sacked before Christmas because Cardiff have been going through managers quite quickly in a recent season, haven't they? Do we trust Cardiff to get the next appointment right based off their recent track record? I don't think so. The squad itself is looking okay defensively. All right, particularly with Mark McGuinness, who's someone I really rate. In midfield, of course, you've got Aaron Ramsey. As I said before, I don't think the expectations of fans for that particular signing will match the reality. The other options they've got in midfield, all right. The forward line is looking stronger than it was, particularly with Carlin Grant. I think that's a good signing, but we must remember he's coming off the back of a bad season with West Brom where he only got three goals previously his record at this level has been very good so which Carlin Grant are we going to go that's the big question but hopefully the uh, reunion with Callum Robinson may bring out the best of him again overall I won't get carried away with Cardiff this season it could be good they could end up being completely fine I could also see it going completely tits up as well because they've been very good at doing that in recent years (laughs) <laughs> too right uh, they, they're they a club that are trending downwards which is the, the easy justification as to why we've put Cardiff here there's a lot of quality in that team and Errol Ballot has a good, pedi- pe- uh, good pedigree but there's a lot of caveats to it I'm just going to try and list them now I'll start with Ballot he's a new manager in a new country in a new league there, there are some big factors there that might prove that not to be uh, for him not to be successful. He's had four jobs in six years, and you mix that with a club who have a history of, well, recent history of sacking managers for, well, a lot less, and then hiring bad replacements. It's not overly convincing. So again, the running of the club is is a big factor here. The transfer embargo on spending uh, fees is is huge. They recorded losses of up to 28.9 million in the most recent accounts, which again, even if the transfer embargo is lifted on spending fees, if they are spending fees, especially in a January transfer window, when fees are inflated to improve their squad, I would be very, very surprised. I just don't think the money's there. And if it is, I don't know if they, I'm not convinced and um, they'll spend it wisely. It doesn't really give them much wiggle room in terms of adding quality between the end of the summer and obviously in January as well. But then you look at the signings we've done so far. Carlin Grant, as you pointed out, really good signing. Akumete, really good signing. But Grant coming off the back of a poor season where where, where, where he's low, probably low on confidence and needs to get back to his best. Akumete coming off the back of two injury hit seasons. There's, again, it's the caveats here. Um but there is certainly a lot of quality that that, that can be squeezed that can be squeezed squeezed out of uh, of Cardiff. As we say, that the front line's looking looking healthy. Maybe a little bit more depth in, in defence is needed. Um, but I think it's really important to point out that this is a transitional season for Cardiff. There's going to be a lot of bumps. And I think them to be pushing up to the top six, I think, is an unrealistic expectation. And having those expectations could essentially lead to you know, discontent amongst the supporters, which is a, especially if they don't hit the ground running, which is a really important thing. I think staying up as, as you rightly pointed out, should be the the expectation. Anything else is a bonus because of how poorly run the club is, because of how badly they've been trending, rocketing towards League One. If they can if they can bounce back from that and, and recover and essentially become a, a stable championship team once again and build from there, that, that would be a positive. If Cardiff fans are actually expecting them to be on some sort of a promotion push, top six push this season... I think they're setting themselves up for massive disappointment. There is no chance of that happening. I can tell you right now, that's just not going to happen. There has been links in the past few days of them, particularly with Kiefer Moore, which is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. A reunion there would certainly make me nod my head in approval. Ross Barkley's another one who's been mentioned on Twitter. I haven't seen anything official with regards to him. I think Ross Barkley's kind of in the Aaron Ramsey category where expectations 
might not meet reality if that signing were to happen. Yeah. I, I, I think that may just be speculation more than actual, you know, fact of that move happening. But you know, it seems like Cardiff fans have been getting a bit carried away, and I wouldn't want them to look at this season as a massive letdown if they were to finish. I don't know, seventeenth, for example, because I think that would actually be an all right season for Cardiff. Just then, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the teams we have finishing between 20th and 17th. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. This is the first of our league table predictions. We've just revealed our bottom four. So let's talk about the teams we have finishing between 20th and 17th. Who have we got finishing 20th, Justin? We've got Huddersfield Town, the Neil Warnock FC. That's probably a bit disrespectful to Huddersfield, but you get my drift. I was incredibly optimistic about Huddersfield uh, going into this season, but I think it's going to be a bumpy one again. A bumpy trans- transitional year, which I don't think is a bad thing because it's new ownership. New ownership coming late throughout the uh, through the summer, which means they're ultimately playing catch up, and that's why they're, they're down. But the big factor, I think, in in Huddersfield being in and out of the bottom three is is Neil Warnock. You can make the argument that Neil Warnock coming in mid season is better than Neil Warnock starting a season. So that's a that's an interesting caveat to, to throw in there as to whether or not Huddersfield will survive. But I just think it's a little bit too significant. He's, he's too significant a factor for me to for that to, to overwhelm. I still think the squad is bottom three. I, I'm not convinced by the quality or the depth within it. There's not a lot of goals in there, nor there is a lot of creativity, but there's a lot of time in the transfer window to to improve that. But then again, there's the there's the issue of of, of the ownership uh, and, and and them getting their feet under the table. So as I say, I think it's just Neil Warnock. There is a lot of quality. You've got Lee Nichols, the back three of Matty Pearson, um, Mikhail Helik, uh, Tom Lees. I think is a very steady back three. It's going to keep a lot of clean sheets. So that's a back three I want, especially when you're going to defend deep because they're going to head everything away, clear everything as well. But wing backs need a lot more quality in those areas. Danny Ward is a so-so player. Josh Caroma has the ability to really kick on. Um, so yeah, there's there's they are missing a lot of quality, which is which is a big factor here. Um, and I, I need to see a lot more to, to to really be convinced that they'll stay up. And if Neil Warnock lasts the season, then I certainly think he's going to be the decisive one there for for, for the Terriers. But yeah, Huddersfield just to just to sit outside that that bottom three. Yeah, I'm um, I'm in complete agreement with you, Justin. The Neil Warlock factor is really doing some heavy lifting mm. as far as Huddersfield's chances of staying up go. The squad is looking really poor. If you're looking at it from the perspective of another championship side, I'm not sure how many of these players would get into another championship team. They had the worst squad in the division, for my money, last season, and they brought in one player, and that's a backup keeper. The only reason I don't think it's the worst right now is because of Rotherham's current plight and possibly Sheffield Wednesday's as well. What you have is a decent defence with the likes of Matty Pearson, Mikel Hellick. That's actually quite solid. The midfield, though, 
very unconvincing. Jonathan Hogg isn't getting any younger. Jack Rodoni's a decent little player. But there isn't much else in that midfield. And then in attack, you have Sorba Thomas, whose stock has fallen quite dramatically in the space of a year. Danny Ward only scored five in 36 games last season. Josh Cromer could have a good season based off how he played under Warnock around April time, but I wouldn't bet my house on it. The rest of the attacking options are unproven young lads. So Huddersfield need to sign players before the window closes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The new owner, Kevin Emanagel, has been tweeting quite a lot about how supportive he is of of Huddersfield. I suggest he maybe gets off Twitter and starts calling people up because they need to do some recruiting. The only thing I, I can really say is if anyone other than Neil Warnock was in charge of this side, they'd go down. But yep. because it's Warnock, I think they'll stay up. I can't offer any further analysis than that. It's Neil Warnock. It is worth saying they've had a takeover as well. So one would hope Huddersfield will go in the right direction at some point. Judging from this summer, it could take a while, though. Well, you, you're absolutely spot on. And that's, that's essentially why Neil Warnock's in charge, is to, is to, is to manage that process and, and give Huddersfield a safe pair of hands. But you are right. Any other manager with the, the quality of this squad, then you could argue that they might have, they might have been bottom in my list. But Warnock's doing some heavy lifting. This you know, the traditional Cornwall trip where the, the squad develops a lot of togetherness. Again, we'll be massive throughout the season um, as as, he, as is shown in his previous clubs but it's hard to make a case for Huddersfield without Warnock and I know we keep mentioning Warnock but it was a godlike intervention last season they were going down without Warnock coming in it's as simple as that uh, and to have him in place I think is a, is a massive coup and a massive asset for the new ownership but they need to get going they really need to improve the squad because again I think if you you're not doing yourselves justice if you're not giving the Warnock the tools that he needs to to at least put a survival together. Um, the, the squad is short of quality, and we need to we need to address that. It, it is, um, and teams you know teams like Rotherham, Cardiff, they're going to continue to strengthen because they've got an upper hand in terms of the timelines. They need to they need to play catch up Huddersfield and need to get going ASAP. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned the Cornwall trip. I imagine a few players there would have lost a bit of money because of Warnock's um, legendary status when it comes to temping bowling. Um, uh, interesting to know how many players lost a bit of money there. But it's also worth saying Huddersfield have had quite a bit of churn in the backroom staff as well. Yeah. So maybe they're just kind of settling in and then we may start to see you know, clear changes happening behind the scenes. But as things stand, it's, um, it's not too convincing. It's worth pointing out when he took charge of Rotherham, there was a heavy influx of free agents that came in that propped up the squad. So maybe we might see something similar towards the end of the summer window happen. It's a risky strategy, but I just feel don't have much choice at the moment. Let's see what Leon Best is doing, shall we? (laughs) Um, In 19th place, we've got Norwich City. Possibly a bit of a surprise one. For a few people, I picked them as my underachievers of the season on Thursday and I just remain completely perplexed about how they're so high in the bookies odds for promotion. Only four teams are ahead of them. I can't get behind that at all. They're a club who need to press the reset button and it feels as if they're up and ahhing about doing it. They've got the sporting director, Stuart Webber, who's leaving, but is seeing out his notice period and was still overseeing recruitment this summer. And the players they brought in seems a bit all over the place. Ashley Barnes, Shane Duffy, Jack Stacey, not players you'd usually see Norwich bring in over the past five years. And then you've got the signings of Boya Saenz and Christian Fasnacht, which is what Norwich would have done over the past five years. So what is the philosophy now? I don't have a clue. And I don't think Norwich do either. You look at the squad, very patchy. Bits of quality in there, but very patchy. The defence has already been hit by injury already, and even then, not convincing. Max Aarons is expected to leave. Andrew Omobobadeli could do too. The midfield is strong with Gabriel Sara, who's a magnificent player. Marcelino Nunes, I rate as well. They're a bit thin on the ground with other options. The front line is... The big concern for me, though, if Josh Sargent plays like he did in the second half of last season, I'm not sure where else the goals are going to come from. And the most unconvincing thing about Norwich is the manager. 
I'm not sure how David Wagner is still in charge after the collapse at the end of last season. One win from eight and he finished the season with a points per game record which was only marginally better than Dean Smith. His work since leaving Huddersfield is very poor. He set a club record of 16 games without a win at Schalke. They got relegated in the season he got sacked. And then at Young Boys, they failed to win the league for only the one time in the last six years when he was in charge. So I think this will be a poor season for Norwich. There's very little to get excited about. The club needs to change direction, but it's hesitating about doing it. And I think it's going to cost them. I think that that uncertainty or the lack of identity is is a, is a massive thing. is a is a massive thing for for uh, for Norwich. They're in between identities essentially. They're transitioning from that Fark era where there was a clear philosophy, a clear style. They've gone over to Wagner where it's almost at the opposite end of the spectrum. It's very conservative. It's very rigid. Four two three one narrow wins, and I think that's going to play against them because I don't think they have the quality to to be that sort of team yet. Um, and that's that's the key, that's the key thing. I do think if you take Wagner out of the equation, Norwich could push higher. That being said, it might be it might be flattering. I mean, I I originally had Norwich mid table before a last minute change, um, literally a few hours ago, just because I'm not convinced by them at all. Yeah, I I look at the forward areas. Josh Sargent is currently the only player who is capable of scoring in that in that final third. And as you pointed out, he dropped off in the second half of of, of last season. Um, you look at Ashley Barnes; he's only hit double figures three times in his career. Now I know Norwich fans will say, "Well, he's there to press opposition. He's there to tire teams out. He's there to be an experienced leader." You do also need goals. Uh, let's be honest; you you also need goals, and that's a big factor in a forward. If he's not scoring goals, if he's running a lot, then what's the point? You know what I mean? It's not a it's not a key variable in which to assess a forward player. It just simply isn't. Um, there will be a lot of low scoring games next season, and I don't think Norwich have got the quality and depth in midfield or defence to be on the right end of those um, right end of those tight tight games. Big fan like you, big fan of um, Gabriel Sara Marcino Nunez. I think Kenny McLean. Um, Kenny McLean. Is it Kenny McLean? Yeah, I don't know why. I, just, I had a, I had a. We thought it might be Stephen McLean, but he's a forty-year-old Scottish striker. Um, anyway, that's, that's a weird one. I think Kenny McLean's going to be an important figure in that midfield. But there's no Wallace Skip. There's no Alex Tete. There's no Tom Tribal, Ben Godfrey type players where they're there to break up play. They're a bit nice at the moment, and that's not really going to help Wagner thrive in this conservative system that he's likely to play. So for me, there's just not enough quality throughout the squad. I do like the Jack Stacey signing. I'm on the other side of the fence for you. I do like that signing, but that's only if Max Aarons goes because Max Aarons is better. So then you've got two very talented wing backs queued up, uh, which just seems pointless for me. But he might play on the left. We don't know. Um, so yeah, that, that, for me, slack quality throughout the throughout the pitch. They lack um, inventiveness as well, which is which is a big thing, especially in that final third. We'll whisper it, Justin. I don't think you can completely rule them out of flirting with relegation this season just because how discouraging things are looking at the moment. I'm pretty set on the bottom five. I think it will be three of the bottom five that we've gone for, but it wouldn't surprise me if some of the teams in this kind of Norwich area that we've got have a little bit of a flirt every so often. Just say, hey, how are you doing? That kind of thing. (laughs) Let's go up to 18th where we have... Blackburn Rovers. Now, a seventh place finish last season was a brilliant result for Blackburn. But as many of you will be aware, I don't think performances matched how good this Blackburn side actually is. They massively overperformed their expected goals. I think that's mainly down to the way they play. When they go ahead, they essentially just sit on that result. I don't think they'll be as fortunate next season. Questions have been asked about Yandal Thomason's game management. Their record of coming back in games is terrible. They only won six points from losing positions and it was just three until Millwall self-imploded against them on the final day of last season. So the jury's still out on Thomason for me. The big headline departure is Ben Brereton Diaz. He's the only Blackburn player to get double goals or double figures for goals in each of their last two seasons. So there's a lot of pressure on their new signings. Nal Ennis from Plymouth and Arna Sigurdsson from CSK Moscow to fill the gap that he's left. Sigurdsson's an interesting one, was once signing for CSKA for 4 million euros and scored against Real Madrid in the Champions League, but was most recently playing in the Swedish League. So 
who knows how good he actually is. The midfield's all right, but quite inexperienced. Adam Wharton's very highly rated, certainly one to keep an eye on next season. The defence is definitely Blackburn's strength. Hayden Carter had a really good breakout season alongside Dom Hyam, who's very solid. Joe rankin Casseau also sprung to life at right back midway through last season. So some good players here, but I struggle to see Blackburn coming close to repeating last year's successes. The other thing is there have been reports of the budget being cut and Thomason has even hinted at that being the case in the past few days. He says the ambitions of the club have to be revised. So it sounds like they might be one club where there isn't too much business happening over the next month when they could do with more business happening over the next month. So hard to get too optimistic about Blackburn. I think their seventh place finish has skewed expectation for a lot of people. Um, and I, 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 I mean, I found it really difficult to place Blackburn this season because of that seventh place finish last season. And also you consider the fact that results were good in the first half of last season, but performances were quite so-so, as we well, you pointed out very often. Um, and then re- results worsened in the second half of last season, but performances started to improve, started to pick up. Then coincide that with the reports of their budget being slashed by a further 20% uh, on top of what the budget has already been slashed. We knew Greg Broughton was, it's been very transparent in saying the club is is, is going to be a need to, well, it's going to be a sell to buy. They have to make up their, their own transfer budget this summer. Um, so that's that's a key thing as well. It's, it's I think the key thing for me in, in placing Blackburn low is the cuts, is the, the ability to go out and replace the star quality that Ben Brereton Diaz had, they haven't done that yet. They might do, but again, if you've got a team there of cutting their budget, they're not going to be able to get the same the same quality. It's going to have to be a very very savvy savvy couple of moves to 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 improve that. Um, so yeah, the day to day side of things, I think as well is is an interesting thing. And obviously, the ownership re- reports of the ownership reducing the budget even more is, is 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 a killer. There are some gifted players, as you pointed out, Adam Wharton, Jake Garrett, Jake Batty. I expect them all to be more involved uh, next season, but that comes with inconsistency. They're young players. You can't throw them into a situation and expect them to just be 7 out of 10 every week. They're going to be drop-offs. And naturally, I think that's going to impact the team as well. Um, and I know you mentioned um, oh, there's a player leaving. It's with Spurs. That's that's going to help. I can't remember his name now. It's Ashley um, Phillips. Ashley Phillips, yeah. There's a player there who's who's... Who's a quality player, but he's, he's he likes to be sold. So that's going to help things in terms of developing that transfer budget. And I know Thomason has been very frustrated so far with with Mattis this summer, which could see him leave. It could see him walk essentially, um, which again is is going to impact how the how the team does. So there are a lot of variables here working against Blackburn, building upon that seven place finish last last season. There, there's a, they need a lot of things to go right, and at the minute, it's not happening. The thing is, what you were just mentioning there about um, the sporting director, Broughton, what he was saying about how they make their budget with by selling players, that makes it all the more weird, really, that over the past two years, they've lost some talented players on free transfers. The likes of Ben Broughton, Diaz, Joe Rothwell, uh, Ryan Niambe, some other players in, yeah. are in there as well, who I just can't recall off the top of my head. So you'd have thought they would be a bit cleverer with selling these players, but they held on to players like Brereton Diaz to have a gamble at promotion, just didn't happen. And now they're paying for it, basically. And that's why they're having to sell young players like Ashley Phillips and possibly Adam Wharton as well. And that's not a good situation to be in, really, because Blackburn are the kind of club who could get even more money for these players if they stuck around for a bit longer. So, yeah... It's um, it, it's a Blackburn are a bit of a weird club in the way that they're run because they could do. Obviously, the Venkies have had a long history, a long roller coaster history with the supporters, and I think cracks have kind of been covered in recent years. But when you hear things like this, it starts to raise questions again. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely spot on. You know, and whilst they have been underwriting losses. It's taken far too long to put someone like Greg Burton in place, um, and there's just that decision making in terms of losing key assets. I got a lot of abuse from Blackburn fans last season for suggesting that the club should be open to selling Burton Diaz at around twelve to fifteen million pounds. 
that 12 to 15 million pounds would have bought them players on three four-year contracts last season and they wouldn't be in the position they're in now so it's all about the longevity in a championship and if you're not if you're not thinking ahead then unfortunately you, you're going to pay the price the following season there are a lot of teams in the division that rely heavily on loan players and unfortunately they're struggling to fill those quality gaps now because it's getting more expensive to do so. So Blackburn fill that uh, fill that well one of the teams in that category and so are, so are some other sides as well. Yeah, exactly right, Justin. Final one of this episode is 17th place and that was Preston North End. Now you may be thinking that's a bit low for Preston. Well, the person you've got to ask why are they so low is Justin Peach because you had them as low as 18th in your table, Justin. This is one of the first ones where we had a bit of a discrepancy between uh, where we had them in our respective tables. So why did you have them so low? Well, I mentioned that they'll underachieve and I think it comes down similar to Rotherham. I think there are teams that are improving around them whereas Preston, just they just aren't. I think the key factor for me with Preston is looking at the over-reliance of loan players. I just mentioned it with Blackburn because I had Preston in mind when I was talking about it, is that the over-reliance on loan players in recent years, I think, has just led to the team not having enough assets in their squad. You look at the likes of Ben Pearson and Ben Davis in recent years who have been allowed to run down their contracts and have left for fees that should have been significantly higher. Um, I think the ownership in that sense has been a little bit, little bit passive, which ultimately is meaning that Ryan knows having to rebuild a squad again on a shoestring budget. So I think those factors, those variables there, being able to do so, being able to build upon that for for Rhinos is just going to prove difficult. There's a lot of quality missing in, in the forward areas. I just don't think Preston have got the budget to go out um, and fill those fill those gaps. I think Will Keane, for example, is a really smart deal. I would be surprised if he doesn't hit double figures and I think he's going to complement whoever plays in that other striking position very well. Emil Reese is coming back from a knee injury, but it's an ACL injury. I'll say knee injury just to be safe. Um, so there's, there's, you can't put too much expectation on him to come back and, and, and really thrive. Lane Stewart is young, so it would be unfair to assume he's going to be a leading man this season. He's got the potential to do so, but it's potential at the moment. Chad Evans is at the wrong end of his career and he's coming back from a really significant injury. So there's no guarantee he's going to be as effective as he has been in the past. So that quality in that final third is is, is lacking. Um, and I see that over-reliance on loan players like Seth Vandenberg, Danny Leverson, Tom Cannon, Cameron Archer in previous years has led to a, a you know, significant lack of, of quality now, which the club is seemingly picking up the pieces. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a, a transitional year in which Preston sign players like Leighton Stewart where they develop them for a season and then they go on to thrive. No guarantee, but that is, that is the way Preston have got to operate because I just don't think they've got a budget capable of enough of competing higher than 17th this season. I disagree with you, Justin. Preston are very much the steady eddies of the championship. Their last three seasons, they finished 13th, 13th and 12th. Has enough happened this summer to warrant them being higher in the table? Not for me, but should they be lower? I don't think so either. They're just a solid side. And I think we'll see that again next season. They have the odd moment where they look like they're going to threaten for the top six. But I'd be stunned if they actually finish there. And look, Ryan Lowe is a very good manager. He's doing a very good job with a limited budget. And as long as he's in charge, I'd be surprised if they regressed. So I'd be putting them slap bang in the mid-table area again. As for the squad, I think it's solid. Preston are excellent at signing good players. The majority of this squad is very 6 out of 10. There aren't many who stand out as anything more than just a 6 out of 10. I'd probably put the two centre-halves, Jordan Story and Liam Lindsay, in that category. Ben Whiteman in midfield. A potential addition to that is the new signing, Mads Frokjai Jensen, who's come in from Odense in Denmark. He's an interesting transfer. And Calvin Ramsey as well. Your right back who's come in from um, from Liverpool. Um, interesting player who we heard quite a lot about but hasn't really done much in the last year because he's not really been given much of a chance at Liverpool. But otherwise, that's it. Everyone else at Preston is just a good player. I think it means they won't be anything less than mid-table this season, but I also think it won't. It, it means they won't be anything more. I think it will just be another season where Preston either finish 12th or 13th because I just think they're solid and they're certainly a lot worse than them. 
But this is where the debate kicks in for Preston for me. Is I'm not going to give anything away, but the teams that we've got in that middle cluster, that, that mid-table cluster, I just think have got significantly stronger squads and better budgets and are on a different trajectory than Preston are. Um, now, they're, they're going to be a solid side again. Defensively, I think they're looking very sharp. I like Freddie Woodman. He left a lot to be desired at times last season, but he's a steady stopper. Centre-backs are strong. Wing backs are looking healthy, like Robbie Brady and, and Calvin Ramsey. There's a lot of potential for delivery there, but who are they putting the ball into? Um, it's unlikely they're going to get Tom Cannon again. They're unlikely going to get someone like Cameron Archer again. So they're back to the drawing board in terms of striking options, and that is the key thing for this pressing side: is bringing in a striker. We saw the ridiculous amount of draws they had in the first quarter of last season. That's not going to change, and ultimately, I think they're going to be on the, the wrong end of some some results this time around. So, as I say, that that quality of squad in that mid table cluster, I just think, is significantly stronger than Preston's. They've got better budgets and better room for recruitment as well. Just looking at some of the teams who we have got ahead. Obviously, we don't want to name any names because spoiler alert. But I don't think you can go as far to say as they're significantly better than Preston in terms of squad. I think when you look at it, as I say, it's very well rounded. It's it's balanced. It's just there's not much more than there isn't many players who are better than six out of ten in there. Um, I'll keep saying that because it's just very true with Preston. So I, I, I disagree with a lot of what you said there. And as well, the new signings, Mads Frokjai Jensen, is one of the more interesting players to come into the championship this season. Could be a fantastic player. Preston don't spend money very often, so you'd have thought he'd be a good player. Um, and then Calvin Ramsey as well, very highly rated at Liverpool and, and interested to see how he does at right back. So they've got a good foundation here. They've got a great manager in Ryan Lowe. I think that I'd be surprised if they did finish as low as you're predicting just or anywhere around there, to be quite honest. And there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been part one of our league table predictions. That's been our bottom eight. And on Tuesday, you'll find out the next eight teams between 16th and 9th. So we look forward to speaking to you then on Tuesday. And then the top eight will be revealed on Thursday. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on Tuesday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.